already on? She knows she can't trust me to remember to do that. It's sad, but true. Our first reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Listen to God's word. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And as Jesus sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. Listen again to God's word. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no possessions, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. May God bless this reading of the word and to our Lord be all glory and honor forever. Amen. I used to get in trouble. Really? <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. But I used to catch some flat because after going to our national prayer, or not national, our local national prayer breakfast uh, twice, I refused ever to go again. And we had some folks in our church at the time who said, well, you don't have to like it, you just have to go. You need to be seen there. Our church needs to be represented. And I said, that's not what our church stands for. And personally, I found this whole process that they were going through to be somewhat repugnant. And I'll tell you why. We had a lady who's one of the organizers who came to see me one day in my office and said, I've noticed that you don't come to the prayer breakfast. And I said, no, ma'am, I don't. And she said, well, why not? I said, well, it's a national day of prayer. But these prayer breakfasts are only Christian. I mean, it's like if anybody who wasn't Christian came, they wouldn't feel welcome. And she said, well, that's because they're not. <laughs> this is a Christian prayer breakfast. It, and I said, well, what about Jews and Muslims and Universalists and Buddhists? And, and she said, they can have their own. This is for Christians. 
Don't question us. We are Christians. We are right. We are mighty. And we are unstoppable. And we're beyond reproach. Now, my real problem with the whole thing started when they had an armed color guard walk into the prayer breakfast. I'm sorry, but a prayer meeting does not really, in all righteousness, include loaded weapons. I'm sorry. I can't go for that. I also can't go for the fact that we have to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance and sing uh, our national anthem before we say a prayer. I also have a problem with the fact that go to one. There ain't much praying going on. There's a whole lot of talking. And it's mostly talk about how God has blessed us because we're better than every other country in the world. Now, I don't want to live anywhere else. This is where I live and I love my country. But are we better? Do you think God really prefers us to everyone else? Come on. One of our best things that we do better than almost anybody is blow holes in other people's countries. <laughs> One of the other things we do better than most everybody else is we provide for people whose homes we've blown up. There's a balance. I don't think it works, but it's a balance. But I have a hard time going any place on a, on a pretense of being religious and loving God and praising God. And then getting there and eating my fill of bacon and all that other good stuff, which we're not supposed to eat. Think about it. I, my biggest problem is to go there and it's not what it's billed as. If you went to see The Sound of Music and you got into the theater and you sat down and you were ready to go and the movie started and it was Friday the 13th, you would not be pleased. And so I have to, what it came down to is it's a matter of personal conscience. I cannot lend my tacit approval by attendance. I don't approve of it. I think it's wrong. I think it had the right idea. I think the motives behind it are just fine. But the practice, I can't go with that. I'm sorry. And if that's what you expect from a minister, I'm probably not your guy. I also have a tendency to say so when I feel that way. And that can make people really uncomfortable. So I try to keep my mouth shut about it. But I trust you. Sometimes when I'm driving around this town or any other, I start to feel like we've been invaded by commercial Christians. The, the fish Christians. They will know we are Christians by the fish on our cars. They will know we are Christians by our fish. <laughs> or bumper sticker Christians. Those are some of my favorite. Don't let this car fool you. 
It doesn't. I don't think it fools anybody. License plate Christian. Jesus saves. Duh. Who are you advertising that to? We all know that. And I don't think your bumper sticker or your license plate or the fish is going to convince anybody to follow Jesus. What it really does is it says, I follow Jesus. Look at me. There are business Christians. We are a family-owned Christian business. I don't think Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again from the dead to give us a marketing gimmick. Don't tell me you're a Christian business. Act like a Christian business. Be honest. Cut people a break when they need it. It's not hard. And besides that, when you call yourself a Christian business, I expect certain things from you. And if you don't live up to them, you don't have to answer to me. Jesus said, go to a private place. Don't stand on the corner and pray so everybody can see you, like the Pharisees. And he also didn't say, rent a convention center and gather everyone together and make sure the newspaper is there to report that you are the largest per capita prayer breakfast in the United States. Yay. Really also has, what, about 7,000 people, 8,000? I don't know. But I think last time I heard it was somewhere in there. How many churches do we have? If you took every churched person in this town and added them all together and then divided them by the number of churches we have, there'd be a church for every five people. People go, well, we can't keep our churches alive because you got too many of them. You know? You can't keep things alive when they're spread too thin. <coughs> but it doesn't make us more righteous because we have all these extra churches. It just means we have a lot of extra churches. That's all. There's a church on every corner here, and I have a feeling that some of them are far more vocal, far louder, far more visible than we are in the community. But I will tell you who knows we're here. The Center for Protective Environment to help prevent domestic abuse, they know we're here. The food bank knows we are here. The Nest a shelter for women and children escaping domestic violence. They know we're here. The food program for the kids, backpacks for kids, they know we're here. And if we weren't, they would notice. Now, I'm not sure all of our brothers and sisters in town would notice if we weren't here. I don't know. I don't care. But I can tell you that the people who do know we're here are people who matter. Because we're not saying who we are, we're showing who we are. 
We're not the richest church in town. We're not even close. But we still give 5% of everything that comes in to help those people who need it. I love it when they say, let's take back our country for God. Or when somebody says, well, we've taken God out of our schools. Huh? Can we remove God from any place God decides to be? No. We've taken God out of our schools. No, you haven't. God's still there. Believe me. If Ruth also has any indication, this country does not need to be taken back for God. My goodness. Is there a hill anywhere that somebody won't climb to the top and slap a cross on it? Look at us. We're Christian. Look. Frankly, I don't think Jesus is going to want to see a bunch of crosses when he gets back. You're slow this morning. And I thought what really was bothering me was some kind of a false pride, some kind of, and maybe some of it's that. But I was reading an article on the religious news service by a gentleman named Scott. I'm not going to use his whole name because I don't know that he would want me to. But after reading that article, I finally started to understand what was bothering me. And it wasn't what I thought. He was writing about this thing called Christian Fashion Week. And of course, I had to read that. <laughs> and I was oh, let's see how this works. But what it was about stunned me. They hired models and paid them the standard rate. Not what other places paid them and said, if you want to model Dior, you're going to have to do it for free or on your own dime. No, you come here, we will pay you for your work, we'll provide you housing. A lot of people don't realize if you're not one of those superstar models, you're broke. You're probably on welfare. And even if you work all the time, because that's how they're treated. Well, this particular fashion show didn't do that. They provided them real food and everything. They didn't worry about whether the models were skinny or fat. Frankly, I watch those models, men and women, going up and down, and I think, my God, how are they even alive? Those people look sick. They don't look normal. I'm sorry, women, this is just a personal aside, God did not say this. <laughs> women are not supposed to be pointy and angular. <laughs> They're not supposed to be this wide all the way down. They're not supposed to have wrists this big around. I'm sorry, it's not healthy. I don't like it. <clears throat> So they treat them fairly. Everybody who helps with that whole process gets paid like a real wage. And they try to be as environmentally responsible as they can with the materials they use and how they dispose of things. 
And that's, that's really good. I like that. I think that is a cool way to do a fashion show. As far as I'm concerned, every woman and man in here should be up on that runway. We're the real people. They're the freaks. My problem with the whole thing was just that concept. Christian Fashion Week. It bugs me. And it bugs me because it creates a separation. An artificial separation that should not exist. Think about this. What those people at the Christian Fashion Week are doing should not just happen at Christian Fashion Week. They've created this hedge around themselves and those same concepts aren't carried out to the rest of the fashion industry. It happens right here. In here. Protected. And it needs to be happening out there. Every model needs to be treated like a human being. You gain two pounds, nothing but water and laxatives for you for a week. No, that's not right. And Paul is not telling these Corinthians to build that wall, that hedge of protection around them because it separates them from the world. And I know sometimes that hedge of protection can feel awful safe. But what hedge of protection did Jesus indulge in? Live your lives as though this world's claim on your life is secondary to God's. That's what Paul is saying. Yeah, this world is real. There's real goodness, there's real pain. Get out there and live in it and take goodness into it where there is pain. Perpetuate this idea that God loves everyone. I think the values of that Christian Fashion Week are truly Christian. I think those are great. Personally, I think people who have to starve themselves to get a job, they're fine. It's the people who make them do it who are immoral. It's the people who expect unreasonable things from them. Do we want to wear fabric created in sweatshops? We probably are, but we don't know where this fabric comes from. I, I don't know where this came from. But it might have come from a sweatshop. And look what it is. I don't know. They're not wasting fabric. Wasting anything God has given us is immoral. Ask a hungry person. Why not take those same values all the way out there that's what God, through Paul, is telling the Corinthians. Don't keep it in here in this building. It's good in here, don't get me wrong, but this is not where it's supposed to stay. Building walls creates this unbridgeable gap and it creates this idea of us versus them. All you have to do is go to churches, you see it all the time, but you can find it almost anywhere. We use Newman's own salad dressing because it's the best. Well, we use the store brand ranch because it's the best. 
argue about something worth arguing about. But in the process of creating that us versus them kind of mentality, it also prevents Christian values from reaching out to the rest of the world. We hem them in, build our heads, circle the wagons. And it tells the rest of the world, don't question us. We are beyond reproach. We are godly and Christian and unstoppable. The reality, I think, of some of our brothers and sisters is that they fear the judgment of the world more than they fear the judgment of God. Who wants to be rejected? You know, there's a church in this county that I'm not allowed to go to at their request. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not righteous enough because of some of the things I think. But they're missing out on me. <laughs> but think of all the other people they're missing out on. The people who could bring good things to their church and help them carry those good things out into the world. But no, we can't have that person. They're unclean. They're corrupted by this world. Well, Jesus shows us very clearly we don't have anything to fear from this world. Period. Yeah, our bodies are going to die one way or another. It happens to all of us. But it's not the end of us. So there. Jesus tells us, don't be afraid of the world. Be a light in it. Get out there and do what I'm telling you to do. You're called to bring Christian ideas and love and goodness into the worldwide conversation. Whether we call it Christian or not is irrelevant. Does it sound familiar? Carry the good news into all the world? I think somebody said that. <laughs> Jesus calls us to be a friend to sinners. Hang out with the people nobody thinks you should hang out with. Lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. So scratch, I, what's the problem? He lists us, he gives us this list of things not to isolate us from the rest of the world, but to pull us and draw us into it and to realize that we're part of it. And he calls us not to build this hedge of protection in which we can all be safely self-righteous, where we don't have to be confronted by the realities of who we are. I could fill this, I've said it since I got here, I could fill this church up within a month, if I start preaching that we're the ones who are right and everybody else is wrong and going to hell, because then you're in the club. Isn't that cool? Everybody else is going to hell, but not us, because we have a hedge of protection that keeps us from experiencing life as other people do, that protects us from the gospel, and it protects us 
from God's grace. God calls us to be a light of the world. Circling the wagons, you're not going to go anywhere. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong.